It is a prime ingredient that fuels the fires of imagination. Amid countless eons past, it fanned a spark ignited by a primeval author, chiseling arcane petroglyphs across a dim cave wall. This life-giving current once grew papyrus for paper and dried vibrant oils brushed over canvas. Carried across the land since before the dawn of time, it is the breath that gave rise to dinosaurs and has since walked on the surface of the moon. Manifesting as a placid breeze, it stirs memories of childhood or as a turbulent vortex, ripping up the pages of history. Powered by this influence, we dream, love, laugh, hate and destroy. In short, live out our lives. A gust of this disturbance carries the potential to scatter fog surrounding the unknown. Drifting through frequencies of time and space, thin air is inhaled for the first time and exhaled at the last. Don't try to catch your breath. When I was a young boy, I used to like to take a pair of coins out into the country and lay them on top of a railroad track. You'd set them down as soon as you heard the echoing cry of the whistle from somewhere around the bend. Then run like hell into the grass and hide. The locomotive would thunder past, crushing the little pieces of bronze into oddly shaped paper-thin abstracts somehow made magical by the simple act of transformation. Trains were like that for me. Unchained freedom, racing headlong down a track into who knows where. Although the pass of speeding train is always predetermined by two outstretched metal ribbons running between points on a map, I always wondered about the tunnels. I mean, think about it an opening through dense matter, dirt, and rock. A doorway that grants safe passage through otherwise untraversable space, not dissimilar to the theoretical description used by scientists to explain the properties of a wormhole. Constance Weathersby nervously drummed her fingers on the metal railing that surrounded the giant globe in the center of the Herald Examiner building lobby. As a reporter for this vast New York newspaper, she typically approached an assignment like this in a much more level-headed, just-the-facts manner. However, this didn't seem to her to be a typical assignment. For one thing, Constance had only yesterday learned about the story from her editor, had it dropped on her lap in the midst of wrapping up a feel-good piece about a B-17 bomber pilot who had been shot down over enemy lines, left for dead and written off by his family until he walked back into his squadron's camp with nothing more than a nosebleed. Human interest, pure and simple. Good news for a war-weary America, the kind of story that was easy to tell and even easier to read. Now, there was this. With a few minutes to spare before her cab arrived, Constance pulled the unruly stack of papers out from under her arm and glanced at the cover. The dossier of Nikola Tesla, world-renowned scientist and inventor. 
She knew of his work in somewhat of a superficial sense, knew that he had once worked with Edison, that his expertise was electricity and that much of his work seemed to be of particular interest to the military and the war effort. This, she surmised, was the reason she was up and dressed at 5 a.m., camera and portable typewriter in hand, waiting for a cab to Grand Central Station to catch a ride out to Tesla's laboratory at Wardenclyffe. A car horn sounded from outside in the street and she quickly gathered up her gear, pushed through the revolving door and climbed into the waiting taxi. Grand Central, she told the driver as the cab pulled away from the curb and off into the dim, early morning light. She didn't notice that she'd left her typewriter behind, leaning against the railing where she had set it down to read the dossier. The cab was stuffy inside and a peculiar odor seemed to permeate the air, no doubt in part from the burning stub of a cigar the cab driver had clenched between his teeth. The driver's side window was open a crack, perhaps out of courtesy, more likely so a smoky haze wouldn't obscure the view of the road ahead. Constance rolled down the window beside her and looked out at the dim storefronts and twinkling lights of early morning New York as they raced by. It had rained the night before and the wet pavement glistened and reflected the cobalt blue dawn, almost magical if not for the smell venting out past her. As the taxi lurched and bounced its way across town toward the train station, Constance became aware of a curious sensation. At first it seemed like a mild euphoria resulting from the gentle breeze blowing in through the open window, paired with the low rumble of the engine and the soft hiss of tires on wet pavement. There was more to it though. She had the very distinct feeling that, for whatever reason, she was now someplace other than where she should be. Similar to how it feels when you take a wrong turn and start heading down some never-before-traveled street, the hairs on the back of Constance's neck stood up and her heart began to race. Oddly, a quick glance at a passing street sign verified that the cab was, in fact, going in the right direction to Grand Central. Calmed for the moment, she sat back in the seat and rested her chin on her hands with an uncomfortable sigh. Okay, our story begins here, Constance wrote. Beneath the monolithic stone figures perched high above the entrance to Grand Central Station, New York, New York. As this reporter readies herself to board a train bound for the mysterious laboratory of Dr. Nikola Tesla in a remote location called Wardenclyffe, I find myself perplexed by a curious mix of excitement and intrepidation. My task as a writer is to bring to you, in layman's terms, a detailed account of Tesla's self-proclaimed death ray, a device called Teleforce that seems to be of some importance according to a reliable source within the United States military. The old adage, what's in a name, comes to mind for me. As my faithful readers will attest, I am not a writer of science fiction. My interest is to find the facts, and find them I most certainly will. Tesla's folly? I promise to board the train with an open mind. What I discover along the way will be accurately presented for your perusal when I get back. Unbeknownst to Constance Weathersby, a most unusual automobile pulled up to stop just outside the main concourse leading into Grand Central Station. The driver of the vehicle, a frighteningly pale, bald man, dressed head to toe in black, watched as Constance folded up a small notepad and stuffed it into her coat pocket, then turned and passed through the entrance out of sight. The man pulled a small spherical device from the glove box of the car and pressed it to his ear. She's on her way to you now. All at once another car, a white sedan with New York Herald Examiner painted clearly on the side, 
careened around the stranger's car and screeched to a stop, perilously close to a group of pedestrians going into the station. A middle-aged man in a gray suit and fedora jumped out of the car with a small suitcase clutched tightly in his hand and bounded through the brass doors in the same direction that Constance had gone. After a moment, the mystery man opened his car door and stepped out. This is Lanfear again. Yes, he just arrived with the typewriter. Don't interfere, just observe. Satisfied, smiling, Mr. Lanfear removed the device from his ear and dropped it in his shirt pocket. Now, Miss Weathersby, let's see how things turn out this time around. Constance! Hey, Constance, hold up, dear! It's Preston! The man from the white car was now sprinting across the vast room, having spotted Constance heading for the ticket counter. Constance heard the familiar booming voice of her editor and chief, Walt W.H. Preston, hollering to her over the ambient sound of trains and travelers. Wait up, Connie! This is killing me! Once he caught up to her, he placed a hand on her shoulder to momentarily steady himself and catch his breath. That was pretty impressive, W.H. I don't believe I've seen you move that speedy since the day they fixed the coffee machine in the newsroom. Very funny, Weathersby. Preston replied, still trying to slow his rapidly beating heart. Here, sweetheart. You forgot something. Handing her the typewriter. I found it leaning up against the globe when I got in this morning. Since you're going on this little trip to write a story, I thought it might come in handy. Now go get your ticket and get out of here. I've got a newspaper to run. Patting her gently on the cheek, Preston gave her a quick wink and started walking away, back to his car. Over his shoulder, he blurted out, and Don't forget to write. That's- I know, I know. That's what you pay me for. Constance glanced up at the large brass clock mounted on a pedestal high above and near the middle of the crowded room. That odd sensation she had experienced during the cab ride was back, the sense that for whatever reason she was now someplace she should not be. The fear was back, cold and nameless like a gentle draft blowing out of a hospital morgue. Rather than feeling chilled, Constance's pulse started racing and she broke out in a sweat. Suddenly feeling as if she might faint, Constance slid out of her overcoat and draped it over one arm. Now seriously burdened down with too many carry-on items, she made her way over to a bank of lockers and jammed her coat and hat into one of them. It's springtime. Do I really need a hat and a coat? Ah, keep the coat. The hat was just a fashion statement. Smiling to herself, she pulled the locker key out of the lock and closed the locker, giving the handle a tug for good measure. Oddly, when she took another quick look at the clock, it still seemed to read the same as it had the last time. 5.31 a.m. Now worried that perhaps the clock wasn't working, Constance quickly collected her typewriter, brownie camera, and clutch purse and headed for the nearest ticket window. Now this is VIP service! She exclaimed to the ticket agent behind the window. Coming up on 6 a.m. on a weekday? I thought for sure that I'd be running down the platform to catch the train. The agent said nothing, simply continued with the business of taking her money, then opening an ink pad, pressed an old worn stamp into the ink, smacking it down on a ticket she had pulled from a perforated roll. 
Sliding the ticket across the marble top counter, the agent said, Century Unlimited, track six. Departure time is six o'clock. No sooner had Constance picked up her ticket, the agent placed a closed sign on the counter, rolled the accordion door down, and switched off the light. If I didn't know any better, I'd say I must be the only passenger getting on the illustrious Century Unlimited. Feeling a bit put out, but anxious to hop the train and start writing her article, Constance walked off in the direction of the boarding platforms. Had she bothered to look a little more closely at the ticket the agent sold her, the sense of dread she had been feeling may have ratcheted up another notch. The ticket read NYC Grand Central Station and Wardenclyffe, and then in parentheses, Phobos Mars. Bright sunlight poured in beneath the huge awnings covering the train platforms of Grand Central Station. In the damp morning air, beams of light cut through skylights and random breaks in the rooftop to produce beautiful glowing columns that fell on the gleaming stainless steel shells of the great streamliners idling there. Constance passed by two of these giant hissing steam engines before she arrived at the platform for track six. There, in gleaming silver, gunmetal, and yellow gold livery was the Century Unlimited. The locomotive was an impressive sight and literally outshined the likes of the Baltimore and Ohio Royal Blue, Penn Central's Broadway Limited, and even the New York Central's famed 20th Century Limited, all rumbling like sleeping dragons on parallel tracks a few yards away. Constance made her way up a short ramp leading to the platform and noticed some movement, high up in the cab window of the impressive engine. Clad in striped overalls and sporting a matching engineer's cap and red kerchief around his neck, the train driver turned his attention to Constance as the clicking of her high-heeled pumps on the concrete platform drew his attention away from some business at the rear of the train. Good morning, ma'am, he said cordially, looking down at her from the cab window. Good morning to you, too. <laughs> I don't suppose this is much of a trip for you, is it? A short hop out to the suburbs is hardly worth throwing all that coal on the fire, is it? The engineer pulled the cap off his head wiped his brow on the sleeve of his shirt and thought for a moment. Well, I suppose that's a matter of perspective. For the most part, that question is a bit above my pay grade. Me and my ash cat are just a roll in this here train where she needs to go. Near or far, don't make much difference to me. Placing his cap back on his head, he added, You'd be surprised, though, the places where these old tracks lead. Sometimes, not just points on a map, Sometimes. Well, anyway, my job right now is to get you where you're going. Climb aboard, miss. I'll get you there. Before Constance could continue the conversation, the engineer turned away and ducked back into the darkness behind the open window. As Constance walked on, further down the platform she saw the conductor waiting there for her to board. Oddly, not another living soul was there with her. That feeling was back, this time brought on by the thought that she was the only passenger getting ready to board the Century Unlimited. Even before Constance had crossed the distance to where the conductor was standing, he called out, Miss Weathersby, step on up. Climb aboard the Century Unlimited. My name is Malachi, and I'm the conductor aboard this mighty fine line. I understand that it's our job to deliver you safe and sound out to Nikola Tesla's laboratory at Wardenclyffe. Step into my silver chariot and find yourself a seat. 
I promise that they are all very comfortable. We'll be underway in no time, and we'll be getting you there on time. Constance chuckled. <laughs> that last bit sounds like a tagline, but hey, if it's true, then fair enough. Constance held out her hand, and Malachi took it with both hands and shook it gently but firmly. We're mighty glad to have you on this little adventure, Constance. Mighty glad. Constance drew her hand back, not knowing for sure how this complete stranger knew her name. Thank you, she replied nervously, though, after all, it's just a little fact-finding mission for a story I'm writing. Interesting to be sure, but hardly an adventure. Oh, now I don't know about that, he said, wrinkling up his brow. Anytime you hop the Century Unlimited, ain't no telling how far you might go. Up the steps with you now. Malachi took hold of Constance's arm and helped steady her as she climbed up to the landing between the cars. Tell me something, Malachi. The conductor looked up at her. Why am I the only passenger getting on your illustrious train? She glanced back at him from the doorway leading into the car, waiting for his answer. Malachi scratched his chin and looked puzzled. Well now, ma'am, I don't rightly know for sure. Maybe because Dr. Tesla is a very reclusive man. Maybe we don't have anybody else taking the trip out to shore. Either way, it don't matter much. This train ain't funded by ticket sales. You might say that we are part and parcel, fueled by the fires of the human spirit. With that, he turned and walking down the length of the train, shouted, All aboard! As if pushed by the utterance of the command itself, the Century Unlimited lurched to life and started rolling out of Grand Central Station. Constance boarded the train by way of a coach car and then made her way back through the dining car, finally to the last and perhaps most posh accommodation, the rounded observation car. Carpeted in a soft green and accented with swiveling burgundy chairs, the observation car was warm and inviting, the perfect atmosphere to begin writing her story. Constance picked out a chair near the front of the car that was situated next to a small wooden end table, just the right size for her typewriter. As the train rumbled ahead out of the large New York terminal, it started picking up speed and the muffled, rhythmic clack-clack of the trucks on the rails started to diffuse some of the tension Constance was feeling over the oddness of the trip thus far. Rolling a piece of paper into the typewriter, she leaned back in the chair and turned toward the window to watch the city skyline shrinking slowly in the distance. Before she could speak intelligently about Tesla and his work, she thought she needed to spend a little more quality time sifting through the dossier. Opening the large folder on her lap, she leaned back and started to read. Back at the station, Mr. Lanfair watched the Century Unlimited wind its way out of the station and down the tracks, into the distance. He watched until all he could see was a tapering wisp of whitish-gray smoke drifting up into the bright morning sky. After a moment, even the smoke had faded from view. Lanfear walked back to his car and was about to get in and close the door when a voice from the nearby sidewalk said, Say, mister, that's one fine automobile. I've never seen anything like it. Lanfear turned to face a stocky, middle-aged man in a dark blue pinstriped suit standing there in wide-eyed wonder, staring down the car as if it were a scantily clad girl performing in a burlesque show. What kind of car is that anyway? Not a Studebaker, is it? No, sir, it's not. Lanfear replied as he climbed into the driver's seat. 
starting the engine, then rolling down the window, he said. This happens to be a Tucker torpedo, my good man. Only 51 of them were ever completed. Truly, a pivotal moment in American automotive history. There was an air of distinction and perhaps a slight tone of melancholy in Lanfear's voice. You have plenty of time to get on a waiting list for one. This is 1943. The cars won't be manufactured until 1948. With that, Lanfear shifted the car into gear and drove slowly down the road away from the station, leaving the man with a very bewildered look on his face. What does it matter? Lanfear thought to himself. His knowledge of the future is a drop of water in an ocean. Dr. Tesla and Miss Weathersby? That is another matter altogether. Two parallel lines, each tracking the other's path, for the most part, along a singular direction like the hands on a clock. Identical? Hardly. To the naked eye, perhaps, rails are inseparable, the medium by which a train is able to span a distance between where we've been and where we're going. Then again, look closer. Minute imperfections in the shape and surface of the iron can result in strangely different vibrations, deviations, and resonances along the way that are not mentioned as a scheduled stop in the pages of a timetable. Sometimes, the tunnels and switchbacks take a passenger on an unforeseen detour, a sidetrack into one of those out-of-the-way places, a depot found along the fringes of thin air. By now the Century Unlimited was rocketing across the New York State countryside and the view outside Constance's window was nothing more than a motion blur of grass green and sky blue. No matter. Constance was not concerning herself with the scenery at that moment. Right now, here, on the last page of Nikola Tesla's dossier she found herself completely dumbfounded. According to this document, which she took at face value to be a factual account, Tesla had moved his experiments to Wardenclyffe in 1902. Because of inadequate funding for his continued work, he had been forced to sell the laboratory in 1917, nearly 30 years ago. After the demolition of his eccentric Wardenclyffe Tower and his Teleforce experiments had come to an end, he moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he worked for a brief time with Alice Chalmers. In 1934, he had moved to New York, where he had been a tenant of the New Yorker Hotel to this very day. He was 86 years old and in failing health. Constance closed the dossier and placed it on a nearby chair. What am I doing taking a train to Wardenclyffe? She thought. The man lives in the New Yorker Hotel, across the street from my apartment. Like a wave washing over her, panic and fear had now firmly set in and she felt as if she might just drown in it. The feeling she had during the cab ride earlier was spot on. She was going somewhere she should not be going. This train ride was most certainly a wrong turn. Why had Preston sent me on this wild goose chase? He gave me the dossier. He had to have known all of this was very, very wrong. Constance flipped back through the pages that were concerned with Tesla's tower. She had been sent out to do a write-up on his experiments with Teleforce and the tower, it seemed, was very much at the heart of that matter. Not wanting to return to the paper empty-handed, 
Constance composed herself and decided that she would ride as much as she could on the train and then return to the city to verify the facts in person with Tesla. Focusing her mind completely on her work she started typing and the panic slowly subsided. One way or another, this Tesla fellow was a killer diller story and she decided she wanted the byline more than she wanted to give in to the heebie-jeebies. As Constance continued to dig deeper and deeper into the strange and solitary life that was Nikola Tesla, she could see a pattern forming. Time and time again, he had theorized about the powerful, primal forces of energy and electricity. Throughout his life, he had known incredible successes and life-shattering disappointments. He had been regaled as a genius and dismissed as a charlatan. Through it all, he never lost sight of his boundless curiosity and his tireless quest for a better world. Not only known for his achievements in science, Nikola Tesla was said to have been very handsome and quite the ladies' man in his day. Ultimately, however, romance eluded Tesla throughout his life, and in the end, love and companionship gave way to frequency and resonance. For better or for worse, Nikola Tesla made work the focus of his life and now, near what was most likely the end, his only love was for a most unusual white female pigeon. As the story goes, the bird flew in through the open window of Tesla's hotel room, and in her eyes he said, he saw a light, more intense than any charge of electricity he had ever conjured in the laboratory. The bird died in his hands. Tesla somehow knew that his life's work was finished. Quite unexpectedly, Constance realized that she was crying. A tear fell from her cheek and splashed across a faded photograph of the bird. Had it not been for Malachi pushing open the sliding metal door of the car to bring her a cup of coffee, she might have noticed that a name had been written in Tesla's own hand, along the torn and weathered edge of the picture. It said simply, Constance. She became aware of a stillness inside the observation car and looked up from her work. Outside the window next to her chair she saw that the train had indeed come to a stop and was situated in the middle of a vast, grassy meadow that seemed to extend out to the horizon as far as the eye could see. Surprisingly, she also noticed that it was now late afternoon. Now that's odd. What is this? Constance whirled her chair around and saw Malachi standing in the open doorway between the two cars, looking out across the same vista she had seen. I hope I didn't startle you. We're waiting on a sideline for another train to pass on the way back to Grand Central. I think it's safe to say that if you'd like to take a short walk outside, I can give you a shout when we're clear to go on. It's so beautiful out there. You should at least take a minute to stretch your legs. Constance stood up from her chair and realized that she was a bit stiff. All right, Malachi, but promise me you're not just whistling Dixie. I'd hate to walk the rest of the way. <laughs> Malachi chuckled. No, ma'am, I will not leave my VIP passenger behind. Malachi held her hand as Constance stepped down and then watched her walk out into the field a short distance from the train. Enjoy yourself, Miss Weathersby. I'll be back in a few minutes to get you, and we'll be on our way. Okay. Take your time. I think I could easily stay here for a while. Constance walked in the warm sunlight, through short tufts of grass, clover, and an occasional dandelion. A gentle breeze blew across her face, and she closed her eyes. When she opened them again, she looked down and noticed the glowing stalk of a large dandelion in front of where she was standing. 
She knelt down beside it and reaching out lightly tapped the stem. The seeds lifted up and drifted away, carried by the wind. A thought resonated, a notion that these seeds, floating off in all different directions were much like life. Each of us tap at the stem of our everyday lives and watch where the currents of change take us. She wondered at the possible destinations. For the seeds. For herself. For Nikola Tesla. Somehow, in some way, it seemed that wherever the Century Unlimited was taking her, that course was intertwined with something or someone else. As the last seed drifted up into the darkening sky, Malachi called to her from the train. All aboard, miss. We should arrive at the Shorm station around nightfall. Returning to her chair in the observation car, Constance looked down at the piece of paper in her typewriter, considering the title she had given the story. After what she had learned about the man and all of his achievements, eccentricities, hardships and frailties, was this new technology, this teleforce, folly? Simply writing these words in a vacuum seemed extremely unfair to Mr. Tesla, at least without giving him the opportunity to defend or even demonstrate the concept in person. Constance rolled the page out of the typewriter, crumpled it into a ball, and tossed it on the floor. Folly or not, let's wait and see. It's time you have a voice, Mr. Tesla, and I want to be that voice. Feeling fatigued from the stress and confusion of the day so far, coupled with getting up early to catch the train, Constance moved her typewriter to the chair next to her and closed the lid. The lights inside the car were now brighter than the sunlight coming in through the windows and she decided that a short nap before arriving at Shoreham Station might be in order. Constance kicked her shoes off and propped her feet up on the table, closed her eyes and a few minutes later was fast asleep and dreaming. Constance awoke to the muffled hiss of an idling steam engine. It was now night and the train had stopped, a quick glance out the window revealing that she was indeed in Shoreham, New York. Standing up from her chair and still a bit wobbly from sleep, Constance picked up her typewriter and camera and started for the door. As she took a step into the aisle she heard, quite distinctly, the rustle of paper near the rear of the car. Turning, she was surprised to find that she was no longer alone. Seated a short distance away was a young man intently reading a newspaper. Of course, she noticed from the masthead that it was a copy of the New York Herald Examiner. He did not look up to return her gaze, simply turned to another page and calmly said, I've read many of your articles, Miss Weathersby. Your prose is most interesting and entertaining. You have a knack for drawing your readers in and immersing them in the story. Thank you. Constance replied, intrigued by this mysterious stranger. I was sent here from Bordencliffe to take you to see Nikola Tesla. If you have all of your belongings, we can leave whenever you like. The man quickly stood up, folded his newspaper under his arm and walked briskly past her to the open door. If you would please follow me, he said as he passed her, making his way out the door and down the steps to the darkened platform. Constance looked out into the darkness and seeing that the Shoreham station was completely shuttered for the night, became nervous and uneasy again. The man from the train was patiently waiting with an outstretched hand to help her down the stairs, but she hesitated. I don't mean to be rude here, but I must admit, due to the lateness of the hour, it does make me a bit worried to step off the train with a strange man. 
Beneath his dark mustache, the slight curve of a smile formed. Strange? Yes. Perhaps you are right. It would not be the first time that this has been said about me. I promise that no harm will come to you, Miss Wazusby. Mr. Tesla himself told me how he is looking forward to discussing his work and his inventions with you. I know for a fact that he has prepared a full-scale demonstration of his concepts on Teleforce. He has been working diligently for months for that very purpose. Once again, the man extended his arm and again she hesitated. Tell me something. Hasn't Nikola Tesla retired to a room at the New Yorker Hotel? Hasn't this laboratory at Widencliffe been abandoned for many years? The man withdrew his hand and rubbed his chin, considering how best to respond. Considering the circumstances, Miss Vezersby, that is a very difficult question to answer. For the moment, let's just say that Tesla has returned to Widencliffe by request to complete and conduct a full-scale test, which, if successful, has the potential of saving every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. Now tell me, does that not have all the earmarks of our front page exclusive? Finally, Constance reached for the stranger's hand and taking hold of it, stepped down from the train. The night was alive with cricket song and croaking frogs, not surprising since the Shoreham station seemed to be situated in one of the most remote places that Constance had ever been, for a city girl anyway. If not for the lights of the Century Unlimited and the eerie blue glow of moonlight on fog, the surroundings would have been enveloped in total darkness. This way, Miss Wessersby. My car is right over here. Constance. She blurted out without thinking about it. You might as well just call me Constance. The pair walked up to the car and the man opened the door and held it for her as she got in. The car was British, and she felt a little awkward sitting down in what would be the driver's side in America. When her companion sat down next to her behind the wheel, she looked over at him and said, So what's your name? The man did not immediately respond, simply turned over the engine and put the car in gear. Then, looking out at the dark forest now illuminated slightly by the car's headlamps, he said, Call me Nick. The car gently bounced across the loose gravel and turned out on a dirt road leading alongside the railroad tracks. You're him, aren't you? Of course. I've just spent several hours poring over your life story. I've seen pictures of you when you were a young man. I don't know how or why. I don't understand any of this. But I do recognize your face. You're Nikola Tesla. I don't know how this is even possible, but it is you, isn't it? The man pushed down the clutch and shifted into a higher gear, and in response, the car started picking up speed. Finally, when Constance thought she couldn't bear the awkward silence any longer, he looked over at her and simply said, Yes. All at once, the interior of the car was bathed in a brilliant golden orange light. Constance looked back over her shoulder at the Shoreham station and saw that they were in line with the light on the front of the locomotive. She also noticed something else. Outlined in a long, dark silhouette against the bright light from the train was a tall man in a black suit, walking slowly away from the station in their direction. She only saw him for a few fleeting moments, and then the man in the station disappeared from view around a bend in the road, obscured by dense trees and tall grass. The couple rode along into the night, and in complete silence. 
Constance was completely at a loss for words, an unusual condition for a newspaper reporter. As the car rumbled into a covered bridge and vibrated over the old timbers, she finally managed to say, How? I mean, you're a young man again. How is that possible? Tesla stared straight ahead, keeping his eye on the road as they rolled out of the bridge on the other side and back into the moonlight. It's like the bridge they just passed through. Everyone believes that time is linear, that it unfolds in perfect chronology. He paused, trying to keep the discussion in layman's terms. In reality, there are openings, pathways to different places and different points. Points that aren't just places, but past, present, and even future moments. And there are devices, vehicles, if you will, that can travel back and forth to these moments. The Century Unlimited, for example. The train that brought you here is such a device. Tesla drove his car down the winding dirt road through dense forest that seemed to Constance to be closing in on all sides. So where are we now, Nicola? What year is this? What if I want to stop this ride and get off? Tesla looked at her and noticed that she was near tears. Taking his hand off the gear shift, he took hold of her hand and squeezed it gently. I'm sorry that all of this is frightening you, Constance. Trust me, you need not be frightened. You are here now for a very special purpose. At some point in time, it was decided that you should be the writer of the story that is like no other. Not now, not ever. You and I have been brought together for a reason, as I understand it. To repair a flaw in the fabric of time. I have been chosen for my knowledge and experience to change the course of human history. That is what I have been told. You have been selected to join me to follow this story to its ultimate conclusion. Whatever that may be, you will see all of what will happen as a first-hand account, and you will pen the greatest story ever written. As the car emerged from the woods and headed out across open country, Constance's gaze fell upon a most unexpected sight. Rising into the starlit sky down the dirt road ahead stood the massive spectral outline of a tower, an ominous dark form that ascended above the tree line like a looming monster. Instantly, she recognized the structure as the Wardenclyffe Tower, Tesla's crown jewel that represented the accumulation of years studying the possibilities of wireless energy transmission. Compounding the bizarre situation Constance found herself in, the tower should not have been here, not like this. Just as Tesla himself had long ago abandoned these remote grounds, the Wardenclyffe Tower had been torn down in 1917 and hauled away for scrap. The scientist should be an old man and the tower nothing more than a memory, but then here it was, like Tesla himself, alive and well and apparently still at the height of the laboratory's most promising work. Although Constance could hardly wrap her head around the possibility, it nevertheless seemed undeniable. Somehow, in some way and for some unknown reason, she had traveled backwards through time, back to turn of the century Long Island. While the Jaguar rolled slowly down the lane next to the laboratory, Constance took a moment to look over and size up the man who rode next to her in the driver's seat. In the dim moonlight filtering through the trees beside the car, darkness and light danced across his face and she saw, not a mad scientist, not a broken down old man, but rather a handsome gentleman, thoughtful, kind and infinitely understanding. 
Instead of feeling trapped inside a frightening contradiction, Constance now felt safe, here, not because the situation was any less nail-biting, but because she was no longer facing this dread in a vacuum. Tesla pulled the car off to the side of the path near the laboratory entrance and switched off the motor. Thank you, Nicola. Tesla seemed surprised and replied, For what, my dear? She timidly placed her hand on his shoulder and looked into his dark and mysterious eyes for a long, silent moment. Up until now, it was all I could do to maintain my composure. Ever since this morning, I could tell that something wasn't right. Call it woman's intuition, or maybe a reporter's keen sense that there was a story lurking right around the corner. Either way, I'm not too proud to admit that I was really scared. Then there you were. You held my hand, you helped me off the train, and in less time than it took to drive here, you explained away everything scary and helped me to understand. I hardly know you, but already I can tell. You are indeed a remarkable man, Nikola Tesla. Infinitely wise in his knowledge of the cosmos, finite in pretension to the world around him, Nikola Tesla was genuinely taken aback when Constance placed her hand on his shoulder and looked at him with such beautiful emerald green eyes, as deep and as perplexing as the most extraordinary mystery in all the known universe. Her touch was electric like a stream of current more powerful than anything he had ever felt. I've known who you are for such a very long time, Constance. I have never missed a single article you've written. On the last day of my life, I held your words in my hand and in a vision like a beautiful white bird. I saw you flying away from me with my very last breath. In my old age, I had your memory to hold dearer to me than any prestigious award or recognition from my peers. I have loved you ever since. An evening much like this one. A moment when I held out my hand and assisted you off a train in the moonlight. Tesla smiled at her and lifted his hand to a curl of her hair, lightly brushing it away from her face. Come with me, Constance. Come with me and together we will change the future. Nicola. Can you tell me how all this got started? The pair walked slowly along the path leading to the laboratory door. Tesla paused and stared off into the dark woods for a moment before responding, collecting his thoughts. They call themselves chronologers. They are not human. Not alien either. I mean, not in the sense that they are extraterrestrial. If anything, they seem to come from above our plane of existence. Yet they seem to me to have an earthbound origin. What I mean is, the entire reason for being seems to be to watch over us, watch over the human race. However, in some way, they are not held to the limitations of linear time like we are, moving backwards into dim, dark past or far into the distant future is no more challenging to them as the act of walking across the street. So the train I'm riding, the Century Unlimited, it's being operated by the chronologists? In a way, yes. The locomotive, the cars, the actual hardware, are not time machines, or anything so fanciful as that. The chronologists use these methods of transportation to give ordinary people a way to travel through time. You see, these beings, these chronologists, can only observe the events of human history Sometimes, a series of events take place, incorrectly, out of sequence. Since a chronologer cannot interfere, 
he seeks out someone who can. A human. You and I are now two such humans. There's more. Much, much more. I will explain everything to you, Constance. Soon. For the moment, let's go inside and I'll give you a tour of my laboratory. The couple stood in the doorway to the lab as Tesla turned a key in the lock. While she stood waiting, Constance became aware of the distinct flapping of wings, distant and indistinct at first, but definitely coming closer. Upon hearing the sound as well, Tesla left the key in the door and walked back out away from the building, looking up in the direction of the rooftop. Good evening, my dear. Come down. I have someone here I'd like you to meet. Constance was concerned that perhaps her newfound companion was delusional until all at once a beautiful white pigeon glided down into view from the roof and perched itself on Tesla's raised hand. The pigeon sat motionless as he reached into his coat pocket and produced several small crumbs of dried bread. The bird tilted its head and eagerly pecked at the tiny morsels. My goodness, you're hungry. I am terribly sorry. Perhaps I have been neglecting my feedings lately. So much to do, you know. Constance stood beside the man and his bird and saw in him yet another admirable character trait. Gentle kindness and genuine concern. I read about your fondness for pigeons. One in particular, a white bird with gray wingtips, was supposed to be the love of your life. Should I be jealous? <laughs> Tesla chuckled at her remark and held the bird up next to her to inspect. She is very pretty, isn't she? As Constance ran her finger over the back of the pigeon's downy head, she said in a mock serious tone, Hi, sugar. Are you rationed? They both <laughs> laughed as Tesla lifted the bird over his head and said, Off you go, my dear. On cue, the pigeon spread her wings and flew off into the darkness. Welcome to my world, Constance. Strange and whimsical as it may seem. Tesla took a few steps into the large room and made a sweeping gesture across the menagerie of incomprehensible devices occupying every square inch of table space. Many of the curious machines were operating completely unattended at what seemed to Constance to be dangerous levels of power emission. Showers of sparks crackled and popped from the metal rafters above as glowing bolts of electricity arced high into the air and discharged. Completely fearless of the electrical firestorm going on around him, Tesla walked over to a table where a brightly glowing light bulb rested on top of a tall metal pedestal. Curiously, Constance looked but did not see a cord running up the pedestal to power the bulb. This should have been the future. Transmission of power not through wires or cables, but across limitless currents of air. Bear witness to the impossible, Miss Vezersby. As he spoke, he reached up and lifted the light bulb and its threaded socket off of the pedestal and held it up to his face. The light did not wink out. Holding the glowing filament, Tesla gazed unblinking into the yellow-orange nucleus and slowly turned the faceted glass around, casting a mysterious incandescence into the dark pupils of his eyes. And this, my dearest Constance, is an infinitesimal spark an ignition 
that this small example implies is so far-reaching that it has brought the chronologers to my humble vestibule in search of a single solution to fend off the extinction of mankind. Tesla carefully returned the wireless light bulb to its resting place atop the pedestal and made his way around a maze of electrified widgets to a phonograph situated on another table a short distance away. This too showed no sign of a power cord or any other kind of wiring, and yet, when Tesla placed the needle down on the surface of the record, the shiny black disc started to spin and music started to play. Tesla turned and smiled at Constance, once again extending his hand to her. May I have this dance? He said, bowing. Of course you may. Joining him on a somewhat limited dance floor, an area in which some of the gadgets had been carefully shoved beneath a table, out of sight. Most likely not, in Tesla's case, out of mind. Slowly, gently, Constance and Nicola rocked back and forth in a slow dance that was really more an embrace than a two-step. Somehow, in this short span of time, Constance Weathersby had fallen in love. This wonderful man was sweeping her off her feet in every way possible. Handsome, vastly intelligent, and so very charming he held her in his arms and she felt as though this is where she had always belonged. Here, now, the fear was gone and all she wanted was for this dance to go on forever. Resting her head against his chest as they danced she could hear the muffled beating of his heart in one ear as she listened to the words of the song with the other. As the song ended, Tesla turned to lift the needle from the record, but Constance said, Wait, Nicola, please, will you dance with me just one more? Of course I will, Constance, but not here. This room is stuffy and it smells of ozone. Let me show you to my balcony. There's much more room to move around and the view is magnificent. Constance leaned in close to him and gave him a kiss on the cheek leaving a bright red lipstick mark that was barely visible on his face as he blushed. Lead on, Mr. Tesla, she said quietly in his ear. Tesla closed the lid on the phonograph and picked it up by the handle. Off we go, my dearest Constance, to the tower for one more dance. The intricate superstructure of the tower plunged skyward as Constance stood below it and looked up. She was not particularly afraid of heights, but in this case, a single series of stairs framed by not much more than a thin metal handrail seemed a bit risky, especially at night. Even bathed in the light of a full moon, the climb looked like it could be a bit precarious. You sure about this, Nicola? Please don't worry, Constance. As long as you are with me, you will always be safe. I will never let you fall. Constance looked back at him and then up the long column of steps. Alrighty then. No reason to flip my wig. Besides, if I can climb all these stairs, you should have plenty of proof that I am no dead hoofer. Constance winked at Tesla and started up the first flight of stairs. Tesla called out after her. You're the best dancer I've ever met, Constance. And the only girl I will ever share my dance card with. As Constance neared the top of the staircase, she looked out across the surrounding landscape. Nicola was absolutely right. The view from up here was breathtaking. 
she could see all the way out across Long Island below, and in the cobalt blue sky above, there were a million stars. As she climbed the last flight up to the massive platform at the top of the tower, she looked back and saw that Tesla was only a few steps behind her. The pair walked out from the stairwell and into the middle of the vast surface. Carefully, Tesla placed the record player at his feet and holding the needle poised, he asked, Any requests? Constance stepped up to the phonograph and took the needle out of his hand, setting it down on the same track he had played in the laboratory. Play our song, Nicola. I want to dance with you. Always and always. Constance and Nicola started to dance, illuminated in the phosphorescent moonlight, beneath a canopy of stars and suspended high above a rolling panorama of trees. There, serenaded by chirping crickets and croaking frogs and with music resonating from a wireless phonograph, Constance closed her eyes and made a wish that this moment never had to end. It's perfect! Holding her a little tighter, Tesla smiled and kissed her on the forehead. Almost perfect, Constance. There is one more detail astray. Reaching into the breast pocket of his coat, he produced a small metallic control box with a single red button in the center of it. Pointing up at the framework of the tower that formed a cathedral-like archway above their heads, he pressed the button on the box and the metal beams burst into a glowing blue web of electricity that flickered and trembled until it surrounded them on all sides. Constance could feel a tingling sensation on her skin and noticed that strands of her hair were levitating like a fuzzy blonde halo around her head. When Nicola reached up and ran his hand around the tips of her floating locks, tiny bolts of static blinked like fireflies beneath his fingers and Constance giggled. <laughs> Tesla closed his eyes and kissed her, a long, passionate kiss that carried with it the power to change both their lives forever. From somewhere off in the distance, a white bird opened her wings and glided off to some unknown destination. Constance was first to notice someone standing down by the laboratory looking up at them. As always and always finished playing and faded into the static hiss of the needle spinning at the end of the record, she saw that this strange man was now walking toward the base of the tower. Nicola, who is that? Tesla glanced down knowingly and then looked back at her. That would be a chronologer. I believe this one's name is Lanfear. I imagine that he is here to take you and I back to the Century Unlimited. Hand in hand, Nicola. I can face any future as long as I know that you'll be there to face it with me. Tesla held her hand in response and replied, no matter what the future has in store for us, Constance, please know that you have profoundly and single-handedly altered the life and times of Nikola Tesla. Regardless of how time may have unfolded for me before your arrival, history will now reflect a much different mirror image of the man than it once did. To think, all I had to do was travel through time. He winked at her again and then gently tugging her in the direction of the stairs, he said, The future awaits, dear Constance. We are about to make history. Mr. Lanfer drove Constance and Nicola from Wardencliffe to the Shoreham station in his car. Like some kind of otherworldly tour guide on a theme park ride through space and time, he made sure they boarded the train and even acted as signalmen, waving a brilliant green signal lamp, beckoning to the engineer to stoke up the coals and get underway. Back aboard the Century Unlimited,
Constance and Nicola sat down together in the lower level of the Vista Dome car and looked out at the Shoreham Depot as it slowly passed by the window and out of sight down the track behind them. As the train started picking up speed, Constance felt a peculiar sensation of very rapid acceleration, far faster than any train she'd ever ridden on before. Gripping the crushed velvet arms of her chair with both hands to keep from slipping off and falling to the floor, Constance glanced over at Nicola and saw that he too was holding on for dear life, thought his expression conveyed a look of absolute wonder. She could tell by looking at him that he was having the time of his life. When he noticed her eyeballing him, he rested his hand on top of hers and wrapped his fingers under her palm. Faster and faster still the train rocketed headlong through the dark woods around a long sweeping curve in the track ahead. Constance saw a tunnel looming at the base of a large mountain. No sooner had she noticed the opening in the rocky cliff, the locomotive roared into the passage and disappeared from view. As the rest of the cars vanished one by one into the tunnel, Constance closed her eyes so as not to see herself being swallowed up by this dark unknown. Without benefit of eyesight, her other senses became keenly acute. From outside the car she plainly overheard the shrill whistle from the locomotive as it echoed into the narrow confines of rock that surrounded them. Then, all at once, every sound stopped. When Constance opened her eyes again, she could have never imagined the scene that would be unfolding outside her window. Not solid rock, but brilliant blue-green bands of light raced by, in a blur, so fast that they seemed to form a solid glass tube through which the train glided without so much as a hint of friction. Beyond the wall, barely visible past the glowing opacity of the tunnel, were stars tiny points of light glittering against the ebony backdrop of space. Behind her, standing motionless against the window frame stood Tesla, seemingly unfazed by the spectacle through which they traveled. Noticing that she had finally opened her eyes he said, They call it a wormhole. Somewhat silly term really. It's a hole or a shortcut that connects two separate points in space-time. Tesla was holding a piece of Constance's typewriter paper, and as he spoke he was folding the paper in half. Imagine that Warden Cliff was here, on this side of the paper. Turning the paper over, he pointed to the other side, and said, Over here, we have, let's say, another world. Not Earth, a different planet entirely. Tesla paused and took a fountain pen out of his pocket and with a quick jab, pushed it through both sides of the paper. My pen is the Century Unlimited. This, my dear Constance, is how the chronologers can observe and analyze every moment of our existence. This is also how you and I are to repair a flaw in the fabric of time. Tesla walked down the aisle to the end of the car where a narrow staircase extended up into the Vista Dome, a glass enclosure like a large bubble on the roof of the car. Let's go up here. Not the view from my tower, but still, where's a look? Come on, Constance. It's time to tell you about where we're going. It took Constance a moment just to steady herself as she climbed out of the stairwell and into the intensely illuminated Vista Dome. Inside this glass chamber, the streaming ribbons of light surrounded them on all sides and the sense of being dangerously close to this overwhelming force was awe-inspiring. The couple stood facing the front of the car, looking up toward the engine and coal car that were now completely engulfed in a cloud of streaming plasma that poured from the smokestack and flowed like glowing tidal waves along the outside of the train. Out ahead of the engine was only blinding white light, glowing and indistinct, 
looking every bit as if the train and its passengers were plunging headlong into the heart of the sun. Oddly, with this chaos raging around them, not a sound could be heard except for the hum of ventilation fans somewhere in the cabin and the quiet rhythm of their own breath. You know, you now hold the exclusive distinction of being the first woman in space. We haven't even arrived at our destination, and already you're changing the course of history. Winking at her, he added, Though you and I, and a few interdimensional, time-traveling super-beings, are the only ones who know, I'm afraid you'll be as obscure in the history books as I am. Constance seated herself beside him and replied, <laughs> Well, my beloved Nicola, I guess we should have chosen Flying Me to the Moon for our song. Tesla pulled a stack of papers from the seat pocket in front of him and opened them on his lap. To the moon, Constance. We are on our way to Mars. As Tesla sorted through the documents detailing his mission on the red planet for the chronologers, he removed a bundle of envelopes tied together with a worn band of fabric. These are for you, Constance. I've titled them Postcards from the Red Sky Cafe because that is the name I have designated as ground zero for my greatest experiment. I want you to keep these with you and read them. Not now, but sometime after all of this is over. I have written these messages to you across the sweeping span of my lifetime. Love letters, poems, bits of wisdom, so many things I want to say to you. Beyond that, there are also specific instructions I have provided to you based on details outlined for me by the chronologers. So that our little adventure will be successful, you need to read these instructions carefully and do exactly what is requested. Once we arrive on Mars, you will detrain at the Valsmariner station in the heart of the largest city on the planet. From there, you'll be taken to an observation outpost by Mr. Lanvier, a place where you can witness and document the experiment from a safe distance away. I'm sorry we must be separated for a time, but that is the part you must play in all of this. A look of sadness washed over Constance's features and she leaned over and hugged him tightly, pushing many of the papers off of his lap to the floor of the car. Don't leave me, Nicola. Please don't leave me alone. Tesla wrapped his arms around her, and they held each other for a long, silent moment. If you promise to read everything I have written to you in these messages, and you do your absolute best to see them through, I promise that I will never, ever leave you. Once our task is complete, we will most certainly be together throughout all time. Tesla pulled a small strip of paper out from under the cloth band, turned it over and handed it to Constance. It read simply, always and always. How well versed are you in Greek mythology? Are you familiar with Phobos? Offspring of Aphrodite and Ares, twin brother of Diamos? Constance was watching Nicola intently, hanging on his every word, but unfortunately, ancient Greek was not a subject she knew much about and she shook her head no. No matter. As the story goes, Phobos was the personification of fear to the ancient Greeks. In our case, the perfect metaphor. From a storage compartment beneath his chair, Tesla produced two small spheres. The larger of the two was painted bright orange and appeared to have shapes etched around its surface depicting mountains and large open deserts. This is Mars. 
Tesla then held out a much smaller spherical object that was seemingly pitted and distorted with numerous craters. To Constance, it closely resembled a shriveled-up olive that had soaked too long in a martini glass. And this is Phobos, a small moon in orbit around Mars. Much like our own moon spins around and around the Earth, day after day, year after year, and so on. Interestingly, Phobos is considered a doomed moon because it has been, or will be, scientifically proven that it has a decaying orbit. Eventually, in an estimated 50 million years or so, Phobos will collide with Mars or be shredded to rubble and form a ring around the planet. Tesla raised the marble-sized moon up in front of his face. 50 million years. Safe to say a few years out from our next stop on the red planet. He then took the small moon and dropped it. The tiny fragment struck roughly against the model of Mars, causing a sizable dent. Why then is Phobos about to strike the planet's surface on May 31st, 2124? The Century Unlimited roared out of a tunnel opening in the side of a brightly colored orange mountain, out across a massive trestle structure high above a deep valley at VS Mariners, Mars. Even as this alien vista unfolded before them, Constance and Nicola continued to discuss this bizarre scenario that was only hours now from unfolding. About ten years ago, the chronologists came to me asking for my help. They surmise that if I modify my teleforce beam to act as a repulsor, I alone held the key to the survival of the entire human race. Tesla seemed almost frantic now, trying to impart every scrap of knowledge to help Constance tell this story to whoever might listen. By 2098, a process known as global warming had all but devastated the surface of the Earth, first submerging great land masses beneath the sea and then by uncontrolled cloud cover that plunged the Earths into a new ice age. By the time people realized, this process had become irreversible. There was little choice left for humanity but to colonize Mars and try to build a future here for a dying race. Little by little, people were shuttled, as many as possible, to build a large underground facility that could support life and become a point of origin to begin terraforming. Just as it seems there was hope, something shattered Phobos out of its original orbit and sent it crashing down. Tesla stopped speaking for a moment and rested his head in his hands, visibly shaken. I have seen the aftermaths. The chronologist took me forward in time to a point moments after the catastrophic impact. None survived. None. Over the course of a decade, the chronologists have shuffled me back and forth between Earth and Mars on the Century Unlimited to construct a second tower that is five times larger than the one at Vodencliff. The idea being that if strategically placed below the point of impact, a massive repulsor beam will effectively push Phobos back out into space perhaps even out of Mars' orbit, where it will never be a threat to anyone again. Today, Constance, we will put this theory to the ultimate test. Construction of the tower was completed during my last visit to the Red Sky Cafe, and now the moment of orbital shift is only hours away. Constance looked out across the vast red-orange valley of rocks in utter disbelief. 
The last time I heard anything about Mars, it was being broadcast by Orson Welles at the Mercury Theater, and that gave me the jitters. <laughs> no hostile aliens that I've encountered here so far. It seems the only thing they have to fear is fear itself. Also, a big chunk of rock named Phobos. <laughs> the engineer cracked the seal on his pressure suit with a loud hiss of escaping oxygen as he initiated a power-down sequence on the dark matter propulsion system. The Century Unlimited shuddered momentarily as the distorted ripples of altered space-time faded to background levels. The train glided down pristine rails, high above the orange desert surroundings, on approach into Valles Marinera station. Wisps of brightly colored dust kicked up on either side of the train, stirred for the first time since a Martian storm had scattered it there many months ago. As the train continued to decelerate across the long bridge, the engineer tugged on a cord dangling from the roof of the cab and a loud bell rang in response. Constance had been so focused on watching the extraordinary contour of the Martian surface that she was completely unaware of the spectacle looming over the crest of the mountain ahead like a colossal eyeball staring down at them. Noticing something odd out of her peripheral vision, Constance turned her head and looked up. There, suspended in the air and filling most of her field of view, was Phobos. With a gasp, she scrambled out of her chair and stumbled to the back of the Vista Dome. Tesla followed after trying to reassure her. Constance, it's all right, really, he said holding her. I know it looks insurmountable. Believe me, I felt the same way the first time I saw it. Tesla held her tightly as she mustered the courage to risk another look. Nothing could have prepared her for the appearance of this misshapen alien moon. Phobos wasn't round, it was almost egg-shaped with a massive crevasse across more than two-thirds of the visible surface. How, Nikola? She looked into Tesla's eyes. How can you stop something like that? Kissing her on the forehead and glancing up at his adversary, he said, How can I not? Although they were all dressed in unfamiliar clothing, Constance was grateful to see people. Lots of them. The Century Unlimited rolled into the brightly lit station and the simple fact that she could no longer see Phobos would have been relief enough, but now there were people just like her, all up and down the long corridor outside. The metal-on-metal -metal screech of the locomotive braking and easing to a stop did not seem to draw the attention of anyone. On the contrary, Constance noticed that everyone was running, for the most part in the same direction, toward a large moving staircase that led down deeper into the mountain. They're evacuated, Tesla said as he watched the organized chaos taking place around the station. History has shown that it will be an inaccurate safety measure. This, he gestured at the window, is the reason I am here. Even before the pair could gather all their belongings and make their way back down to the main floor of the car, the platform had become completely vacant. Constance grabbed Tesla's hand and started for the open door leading to the platform, but Nikola stood firm and did not follow her. Pulling her back inside, he said somberly, This is where we have to say goodbye, dearest Constance, for only a little while anyway. Knowing this time would come, but not wanting to face it so soon, she threw her arms around him and hugged him tightly. I love you. I love you too, Constance. I always have. The couple stood there holding each other, holding each passing moment together like a priceless treasure to cherish, not wanting to ever let go. I have a confession. Of course, I am here to try to save humanity 
first and foremost. However, there is also a potentially selfish motive at work from my perspective. Constance felt tears welling up in her eyes, but wanted to stay strong for him, so she summoned her most confident tone and asked, What's that, my love? Tesla released his hold on her, took her hand and kissed it, and then looking up with a wry grin said, If this works, I won't have to spend my golden years doting over a pigeon named Constance. <laughs> Constance stood quietly at the top of a balcony overlooking the platform and watched the Century Unlimited roll away. Through a veiled mist of tears, she watched each car disappear into a small tunnel on the far end of the station wall. She noticed that by the time the last two cars passed by her that the train was picking up speed again, taking Tesla away from her, delivering him up to whatever fate awaited at a place called the Red Sky Cafe. Miss Weathersby. A voice from somewhere in the terminal echoed up to her and she noticed the dark form of Mr. Lanfer walking next to the train in her direction. I realize how difficult this must be for you. There aren't too many people in all of human history that have fallen in love in an afternoon, spent a precious few hours together, and ultimately experience what feels like a lifetime by each other's side. I am envious. Lanfer stepped lightly on to the closest step of the moving staircase and glided up in her direction like a ghostly specter. If not for his casual demeanor, the sight of this being, this chronologer, would have been quite overwhelming. However, since he held the only answers to the possibility of bringing Nicola back to her, she fought back the revulsion that was clawing at the back of her mind to let out a scream. He continued, you see, we chronologers cannot experience these esoteric things, love, hate, anger, or fear, all of the qualities that make you human. As he arrived at the top of the landing, Lanford glanced at the bundle of envelopes that Constance held tightly in her hands. I see you have the postcards. That's good. I don't know how much Tesla told you about them, but I will add, these notes from him and your ability to act on them will ultimately determine the destiny of your race, as well as your precious Nicola's destiny, not to place too fine a point on it. Lanfer grinned, a frighteningly unnatural grimace that spanned from ear to ear and remained slashed across his pale face like a knife wound for far too long. Now, if you will accompany me, I will take you to a place where you can observe these proceedings from a safe vantage point. Lanfer drifted silently past her and headed down the corridor in the direction of what looked to Constance to be a glass elevator a short distance away. Constance marveled at the strange technology that she now found herself surrounded by. Standing in a cylindrical glass tube, she watched layers of bright orange dirt and rock pass by her as a shiny metal pedestal lifted her up to some unforeseen level of this vast Martian complex. In the usual awkward silence that always seems to occur in an elevator, Constance felt compelled to make conversation while they waited. So, Mr. Lamphere, is it? You say you can't experience emotion? That must be terribly tragic. Lamphere had his back turned toward her as he responded. Not so as to have any influence on another life. Chronologers are observers. We catalog. We watch for anomalies in the proper flow of time. We have no real power to influence anyone or anything. We look for and find flaws in your history 
but we are all but powerless to effect repairs. Lanfair folded his hands behind his back and sighed. To actually make repairs, we must enlist the help of flesh and blood human beings like yourself. Ironically, we can find ways to help humanity circumnavigate disaster, but ultimately, only humans have the power to control their own destiny. The pedestal suddenly rose into bright sunlight, a rounded glass building surrounded by an iron cage with a curved transparent door on one side. Lanfer said, under normal circumstances, you would need a suit to walk out on the Martian surface. As long as you stay with me, this is not the case. The lift stopped and the doors parted in response. Lanfair extended a long, bony arm in the direction of his car. After you, Miss Weathersby. Much of the surface of Mars was impassable. The sand littered with vast fields of rough stones and great slabs of rock jutting from buried mountains older than measurable time itself. Any one of these obstacles should have made the journey a futility yet Lanfer seemingly possessed a knowledge of the surrounding topography that was unlike anything human. With the precision of a veteran race car driver he weaved in and around places that would have been far more practical to traverse by air. At one point during the course of their drive, the car made a close pass to the massive tower that Nikola had constructed here on Mars. As Constance looked longingly out of the window, Knowing that he was just a short distance away, she heard a static crackle coming from the Tucker's dashboard transistor radio. After a moment the static cleared and in its place, always and always started to play. Realizing the significance, Landfair slowed the car so that the entire song could play out before they veered off in a different direction. Constance first noticed several bright flashes of light as Lanfer pulled the car to a stop in front of a tall glass observation tower many miles away from ground zero. Lanfer opened the door for Constance and she stepped out of the car, but what she saw over Lanfer's shoulder made her completely forget where she needed to go next. Violently flickering bolts of energy were now dancing up into the sky from the top of Tesla's tower. So powerful were these streams of energy Constance could see that the arcs were actually reaching altitudes high enough to be dancing across the pitted surface of Phobos. After several moments, the unimaginable current of electricity started forming a glowing crescent shape around the bottom edge of the moon that looked to Constance like a massive, white-hot plate that the moon seemed to be resting on, much like a flower on top of a stem. Snapping Constance out of a momentary trance, Lanfer said calmly but commandingly, There isn't much time. Please, Miss Weathersby, if you will, accompany me to the tower. I apologize for the inconvenience of climbing so many stairs. Lanfer called out as the pair circled higher and higher. This tower was constructed at Tesla's request and is not powered by any form of electrical current. Every bit of energy that can be generated out here must be directed and used to power his Teleforce deflector beam. Stop beating your guns and keep moving. Exhausted, but wanting more than anything to see Tesla's grand experiment unfold and, of course, succeed, Constance reached the landing at the top of the stairs and looked out of the window. Through the clear glass wall of the observation tower, Constance watched as energy bolts continued to intensify in frequency and distance. Massive violet-blue columns of electricity enveloped the entire underside of Phobos now and had actually succeeded in causing the moon to halt its descent Slowly, almost imperceptibly at first, Constance saw Phobos begin rising back up into the sky. It's working! 
Nicola, my dearest love, it's working. Lanfer was there as well, witness to the event. Pointing across the room to a tower viewer mounted on the outside rim of the platform safety railing, he said, Feel free to take a closer look. The viewer is actually quite technologically advanced. It's just made to look vintage. Constance walked over to the device and taking hold of the armature, spun it around in the direction of Phobos. Vintage? These things are nifty. They're not vintage. I've looked through these from up on top of the Empire State Building lots of times. Amused by Constance's honest but nearsighted response, Lanfer turned back to the window and folded his hands behind his back. It took Constance's eyes a moment to adjust to the brilliant maelstrom that flickered and danced at close range through the extreme magnification provided by the viewer. The scene before her now was almost more metaphysical than scientific. Like some kind of bizarre magic show that Houdini may have subjected himself to and tried to escape from, Constance saw giant boulders levitating above the surface of Phobos on tendrils of electricity, floating to and fro and occasionally slamming into crater walls and scattering into thousands of tiny pebbles. Glowing balls of supercharged plasma rolled like marbles around the brownish-tan sand that caked the surface of the moon and once or twice collided, sending showers of sparks in all directions. And then, quite unexpectedly, Constance noticed something else. Perched on a ridge of the giant crater were two very unnatural objects, both metallic, both with pulsating red beacons in the middle of saucer-shaped domes ringed with what looked to Constance like lighted windows. Without looking away from the strange discovery, she asked, Mr. Lanfear, is there any way at all we can reach Nicola from here and speak to him? I'm sorry, Miss Weathersby. As I mentioned, there are no electrical resources here at all for transmission of voice or otherwise. Every volt of available power is being routed up through the tower towards Phobos. Might I ask why? Lanfair turned his gaunt face inquisitively. It's probably nothing, she said as nonchalantly as possible. Just fascinating is all. Turning the dial on the viewer to bring the image of the metal discs into perfect focus, she took out her brownie camera, held it up to the lens and snapped off several shots. Then again, it may be everything. No question about it. Whatever these things were, they were by no means native to the surface of Phobos. In fact, the longer Constance studied them, the more the details revealed themselves to her. Being a newspaper reporter did have one very specific job requirement, the ability to see things other people might miss. Constance noticed that Phobos was slowly spinning around like a top on Tesla's teleforce beam, giving her the opportunity to view the objects from every angle, at least from an aerial point of view. She noticed that both of the metal disks appeared to have what looked like impact points where they had hit the surface of Phobos and slid a short distance by momentum, pushing up pathways of sand and rock. This indicated that they had both landed there, whether by chance or by design most likely by accident based on the haphazard angles when they had finally come to rest. One thing was quite certain. When Nicola's task was finished and they could be together again, Constance would have some fascinating new details to share with him. From somewhere deep below the Martian surface, a cauldron of white-hot chaos, generated 
by my Teleforce reactor was creating and destroying every element in the known universe, even bringing into existence powers that had not before this moment existed at all. Tiny spheres floating on tendrils of interconnected matter and energy. New universes in and of themselves, branching to other universes like infinitesimal wormholes leading to places forever unseen. All this power, focused to a specific point in time, directed upward into the face of fear. In the harsh light of truth, surely fear can finally be turned away. Tesla stood defiant against the raging forces that he had teased into inspired existence. From a distance of no more than a mile, he gazed up into the tangled web of light and marveled at the intricate patterns that formed and faded as they danced around the crossbeams of his tower. Energy, the likes of which only God could have imagined was now spinning wildly like a cyclone into the starlit sky, wrapping around Phobos in a brilliant cocoon of light. Levels of static electricity in and around the red sky site had reached such a fever pitch that the sand around the tower floated like a layer of orange water flowing out from the tower base in concentric ripples. In the midst of it all, Tesla could see that Phobos was shrinking in size, faster and faster as the teleforce beam pushed it back up into the blackness of space. Throwing his arms out over his head he shouted, <laughs> though in the hurricane cacophony of noise his voice was all but completely lost. Here, now, vindicated in the glow of his greatest triumph, Tesla was still thinking of his beloved Constance. He imagined the two of them there, waltzing across the rolling particles of sand and how the drifts kicked up by her swirling dress would paint graceful brushstrokes in the static-charged air. As soon as Phobos was no longer a threat, he would be riding the Century Unlimited, as fast as it could carry him back to her. Then suddenly, unexpectedly, Tesla was roused from his reverie by the drone of an alert on the control panel behind him. Unimaginable and yet, there it was, plain as the red Martian dust that drifted over the tops of Tesla's shoes. Up there somewhere, on or near the lip of the giant sticky crater on Phobos, there registered a blip on his video display. Unimaginable because Tesla could think of nothing in his vast understanding of science and mathematics that could explain it. He couldn't imagine why anything would be up there generating an anti-gravity force field so powerful that it was literally acting like the opposite pole of a magnet pushing back against the overwhelming flood of electromagnetic energy that he himself was directing there. Tesla's brain reeled, assessing the problem from every angle a thousand times a second and still, coming up with nothing, no course of action that might resolve a situation that would, in a matter of a few seconds, become quite catastrophic. If the teleforce beam was not encircling Phobos uniformly, then all Tesla would succeed in doing is redirecting the impact point of the moon. Rather than being snuffed out by a direct hit on the city, the citizens of Mars would have a few minutes more before a gargantuan shock wave crushed their fragile outpost in a seismic disturbance 1,000 times greater than any earthquake ever recorded. Time and options fading fast, Tesla lunged at the panel and initiated the one potential option left open to him that might alter the outcome of his experiment. Placing his hand on the power output control, Tesla took a deep breath to calm himself and then, committing to his decision, twisted the dial all the way up beyond the red line. For a fleeting instant, Phobos resumed an upward climb. Then, at the moment that should have forever marked his crowning achievement, 
time ran out for Nikola Tesla. From a point midway up the towering metal latticework, the energy stream had pooled in such a way that it had started melting a section of the superstructure. The tower did not completely vaporize, it simply snapped in half inside an expanding orange fireball, sending the top section careening and spinning into the sky, only to fall back with a crash hundreds of yards away, completely mangled, effectively destroyed. Well within the radius of the blast, there was no sign of Tesla or the console he used to control the teleforce beam. As the tower fell to the ground in a fiery plume of thick, black smoke, bolts of energy clung on to the underbelly of Phobos for a few moments longer, giving the moon the appearance of a giant blue jellyfish drifting silently in the pristine darkness overhead. As the energy dissipated, bands of blue sparks fanned out in a circle like sparkling rings around the doomed satellite, and then even those winked out. Finally, the last cobalt blue residue of the Teleforce energy beam faded away, leaving Phobos a cold, ominous orb hanging motionless in midair. Constance wept. She wept for the love that would never be. She wept for the time, all the precious time she wanted to spend with the one true love of her life, gone, like waking from the most wonderful dream to find yourself trapped inside your worst nightmare. Sobbing softly she felt paralyzed, unable to look away, as if the act of doing so would erase the short time they had shared together in her mind. Staring out at the smoke and fire through the tears that welled up in her eyes and fell down her cheeks, she wished there were something, anything she could do to have a chance to speak to him one last time. I would tell him how proud I am of him, how we, how we miss so much. Mr. Lanfair heard her and turned to listen as she continued. I would have told him that I would be by his side forever, that he would never be lonely again. I would have celebrated his triumphs and consoled him in his defeat. Was it so much to ask, Mr. Lanfear? Would it have made so much difference in your perfect chronology if two people could have fallen in love and lived out a lifetime together? Why did you bring him here if you knew it was gonna fail? Why did you introduce him to me if there was never any hope for us? Wiping her eyes, she looked at Lanfear in anger. Unshaken, even a bit nonchalant, he responded, because he is the only hope for humanity, Miss Weathersby. Without him, everything you are, your entire race, will all be gone without a trace, snuffed out here on Mars. Constance was confused by his response. You speak of him in the present tense. In case you hadn't noticed, the teleforce beam failed. His tower just exploded. Obviously, Nikola- Nikola Tesla is dead, yes perished in a massive explosion near the base of his test site at the Red Sky Cafe. However, Miss Weathersby, aren't you forgetting something? Constance still didn't understand what he was getting at. Forgetting something? No, I don't think so. What am I forgetting? Lanfear walked up beside her. Nikola Tesla is dead. Here. Now. None of us, no human, no chronologer, knows why. Our abilities don't extend beyond the realm of the human experience. I cannot foresee the future or what might bring it to a close. I can bear witness to it, and that is all. And so, Nikola Tesla is dead. This time. Lanfear turned away and started walking down the stairs to the base of the observation platform. At that same moment, Constance realized what he was saying. Hurriedly, she followed after him, 
as fast as she could descend a flight of stairs in heels. You're saying that we can take the Century Unlimited back in time? Back to a time when Nicola's still alive? Lanfair was nearly down to the base of the tower now. Not exactly, Miss Weathersby. If we simply ride the train back a few hours or days, then nothing has changed. Tesla will still fail. You will get back aboard the Century Unlimited and return to your life in New York. Please hurry, Miss Weathersby. I estimate that we have approximately five minutes to get you safely aboard the train before Phobos impacts on the surface of the planet. Mr. Lanfair raced across the surface of Mars at a dangerous clip, dodging some of the same obstacles they had encountered on the way out to the test and now a considerable amount of new ones hurled in their path from the tower explosion. At the point when they passed close to the test site, she pleaded with Lanther to let her stop and look for his body. There is no time, Miss Weathersby. I am sorry. Besides, if we succeed in returning you to your point of origin, it is very possible, in fact, highly likely, that there is nobody lying out there in the sand. What you see here will not come to pass. In that case, Step on it, Lamphia. I got a train to catch. The last thing Constance saw of Mars as she looked back out the window of the observation car was Phobos, falling toward the city, a flaming fireball that would bring about the extinction of mankind. Not if I have anything to say about it, she thought. Looking down at the bundle of envelopes that she held tightly in her hand, she said, You haven't seen the last of me. Not me and definitely not Nikola Tesla. Constance awoke from a deep, restful sleep and looked up into the wonderfully wise and caring face of Malachi. Good evening, Miss Weathersby. I brought you a nice hot cup of coffee, and I took the liberty of setting up your typewriter over here by the window. My guess is you've got your work cut out for you. Constance yawned and then, sitting up straight in her chair, took a moment to stretch her arms. <sighs> yeah, Malachi, you're absolutely right. Oh, quite honestly, it's hard to believe now, though. Like I was on the train and fell asleep. It was all just a dream. Constance held out her hand and took the cup from Malachi. Taking a sip, she said, oh, Thank you, kind sir. You are most certainly welcome, my dear. Turning toward the door of the car, he said, This all works out. I guess you might say it was just a dream. As the door started sliding shut behind him, she heard him say, Sometimes, the real good ones, they do come true. Slowly, carefully, Constance pulled open the bow of frayed fabric that was wrapped around the collection of postcards from the Red Sky Cafe. Setting the ribbon aside, she took a moment to flip through the entire stack, glancing at each item just to see what it was. There were sealed envelopes, official documents, old photographs, and actual postcards from different points of interest, all locations around the United States. Some of the pictures were familiar to her, some not so much. She saw a shiny blue automobile that, except for the paint job, was identical to the car that Mr. Lanfair had driven. Another photo displayed a bright orange rocket plane, apparently moving at incredible speed, racing above the clouds. Yet another photo that was paper-clipped to the rocket plane showed a woman standing in the desert next to a sign that read Poncho's Happy Bottom Riding Club. What a curious collection. Constance thought. There was an image of an aircraft hangar with the caption Roswell Army Air Base, New Mexico. 
Last, but not least, was a photograph of her dear Nicola, standing in front of a small building that appeared to be someplace high in the mountains. Written in Tesla's own hand across a corner of the picture was Colorado Springs, summer 1899, signals from Mars. Being mindful not to rearrange the order of the stack, Constance placed all but a folded letter on the seat cushion next to her. She opened it. Seeing that it was written by Nicola and that it began with Dearest Constance, she glanced away for a moment, holding back tears. Just beyond the glass of the Vista Dome, she watched the familiar bands of glowing light stream past the train, and she waited until she had regained her composure. After a few moments, she looked back down and started to read. Dearest Constance, the fact that you are now reading these words is a clear indication that I am dead. Don't fret, my love. As they say, this too shall pass. Honestly, for me, at least the act of dying has become quite tiresome. Thanks to the chronologers, I can honestly say I have no idea how many times I have stood at death's door. It's a wonder I haven't worn a hole in the mat. <laughs> Constance laughed and cried at the same time, charmed by his brilliant wit, beside herself that this piece of paper might be the last time he would ever speak to her. Now comes a part of the story that is entirely up to you to write. I'm sure it will not be easy for you, especially with all that you have just experienced. I know that it would be a glorious adventure if I were there with you, to crisscross the hands of time with the love of a thousand lifetimes. is a dream reserved for only the luckiest man. Aside from the inconvenient deaths, I nearly qualify for that distinction. But then, I digress. <laughs> so here we are, not the happy ending that either of us would have wished for. The Century Unlimited suddenly burst out of the tunnel and was instantly surrounded by the lush green New York countryside. The rhythmic clack-clack of the wheels against the rails had returned, reminding Constance that her journey to Wardenclyffe and beyond had nearly come to an end. Ahead of the train she could see the New York City skyline, she also noticed something else, a tiny white dot floating down from the sky and then gliding above the length of the train until finally it passed close by her window, a brilliant white pigeon with gray wingtips. No sooner had the bird appeared than it was gone down the track behind the last car. Returning her attention to the final few lines of the letter. Time flies, doesn't it, my love? Ever onward. Spend some time back here where you belong. When you're ready, come looking for me. I promise I will be waiting throughout all time, saving the last dance for you. Constance gently folded the letter and held it against her heart as the Century Unlimited carried her home. We interrupt our regularly scheduled broadcast for this special bulletin. World-famous scientist and inventor Nikola Tesla has been reported missing from his suite at the New Yorker Hotel in downtown New York City. A worldwide search is currently underway, and we will keep you advised as this story continues to unfold. No comment here. Some tables turned, perhaps. A brilliant scientist goes missing. An obvious departure from what was, or is, but then 
How would anyone realize that this is any different from how history turned out yesterday? Clearly, two parallel planes of existence now separate that elusive little item called reality. You and I know where he is, or was, don't we? For the time being, however, sharing this story in the pages of newsprint would be considered folly, the collective fodder of nonsensical science fiction. For the time being, Constance Weathersby will have to keep the truth through herself. No easy effort for the star reporter of a major metropolitan rag. The answer, it would seem, remains guarded, spelled out in the scattered puzzle pieces that make up a set of postcards from the Red Sky Cafe. Fragments of an answer to how and why Nikola Tesla has vanished into thin air. The Century Unlimited, Book One, Postcards from the Red Sky Cafe, was originally written and illustrated as a collector card set for NeonMob.com by R.J. Lonsdale. Original music and audio production by Mark W. Wood of Wood Media Studio Incorporated. The voice of Nikola Tesla was performed by Mark W. Wood. The voice of Constance Weathersby was performed by Nancy Cooper Wood. The voice of Mr. Lanfer the Chronologer was performed by Kevin Wittenberg and the voice of Walter W. H. Preston was performed by R.J. Lonsdale. Your hostess for the Century Unlimited has been yours truly, Grace, an AI voice courtesy of Speechalo, and the opening and closing narrations are voiced by R.J. Lonsdale. This has been an R.J. Lonsdale, Flyby Studios presentation.